everybody. Welcome to Dad Bod Rap Pod. This is Nate LeBlanc, the co-host and producer of the show. I'm at the controls today for a little solo episode. Wanted to do this for a while, kind of a longer form sit-down interview. Ah, this stuff is really fresh air, or Nate PR. Call it what you want to, I doubt you will call it either of those things. I don't either. So, I'm interviewing John Sklute today, aka Johnny Paycheck, um, owner of Good Records in NYC, creator of a couple of great mixes, including Impalaville and Darmel's House, underground rap producer, rapper from Soul Purpose, Comedic Sons, uh, Fundamentals, uh, you'll hear all about it. And then he also puts out records, he helped launch the career, though he doesn't want to take too much credit, of Standing on the Corner, one of the most influential musicians in the world right now, no hyperbole. He just launched the Key System, a reissue label where he just put out an amazing record from Youssef Latif that uh, you get to hear a little snippet of at the end here. Um, Super interesting guy, happy to chat to him about his way of aging gracefully in hip-hop and the way kind of his career has turned. He might not be famous, but I think you guys will find a lot to relate with and to build on in his life story, which is presented here. Um, Big shouts to David and Damone. Um, You guys enjoy the week off. Dad bod rap pod. I'm here with John Sklute in an undisclosed location. Um, We are going to talk about uh, aging gracefully in hip hop and kind of his life story up until this point. Um, thanks for being on the show. Uh, ah, ah, ah. <laughs> uh, so let's uh, let's start. You were you were a, an underground hip hop dude in the East Bay in the late nineties. Like what? what, well, what I, where'd you get your start? Or tell me about it. I want to say or, or really early early to mid nineties is when I got my start. Okay. Um, Berkeley High, um, Berkeley High School. I mean, even just Berkeley, California. Uh, growing up, seeing uh, seeing people break dance down at the Shattuck Bart station, uh, hearing hip hop come out of cars. Um, you know, when when my family would take me down to Oakland to go do this or that or the other thing. You know, just seeing the graffiti, seeing the people. You know, it, it just I think just just truly a Bay Area story. And uh, in Berkeley High, I started. Well, actually, before I even got there, I was starting to. You know, I was trying to be in bands, and I had like a really like whack band in, in junior <laughs> high school whack band and um you know we were trying to do kind of like a funk rap rock thing we were very ahead of the curve but we were also very bad at it mm-hmm. and so i got to berkeley high and i met my dude karma um aka brett uh aka cumulus kilojoule and we started this group called the fundamentals and we did a demo tape that actually was actually got a little love like we got some label response um, you know, we performed it, uh, f- performed songs off of it, and we started to get a, a tiny, tiny microscopic buzz. But we weren't quite there yet. There were a lot of flaws. Were and you always the producer guy, or did you rhyme at that I, time? I as rhymed well? also at that time. Okay. I mean, one of my great regrets in life is that I just didn't think of myself as a producer because I was never like that great of a rapper. But I always thought that I had, you know, I always wanted to, and I always thought that I had to for one reason or another. Sure. Um, but anyway, so yeah. Um. And, you know, Berkeley High at the time was a really fascinating place. First of all, if you can track it down online, there's a documentary, PBS documentary called School Colors that is like two hours long. And it's just an examination of the racial politics at Berkeley High in the early to mid 90s. Oh, wow. Now, I went, I went to Berkeley High from 91 to 95. So that's, this is the era we're talking about. It's like a Frederick Weissman kind of like 
the still camera, like just observing things, or is it like talking no, heads? No, no, like... it's a lot of well, no, I mean, well, it's just a lot of students and teachers. Like they're trying to get at what is going on there, and there's a lot of tension. It was the you know, I mean, just of the era, there was just a lot of tension in general. We're talking about Rodney King. Um, we're talking about the Malcolm X movie, um, Boys in the Hood. So there's like a lot of amazing culture that's coming out from especially the African-American experience. But then there's also a reaction to that. And there's, I mean, you hear kids talking this Donald Trump shit in the documentary. Wow. Talking about, well, what about my white identity? And where's the rights for whites and stuff? I mean, you hear that. And yeah. then you also hear, you hear... Uh, Vietnamese and Laotians and Mexicans and uh, Guatemalans and so on and so forth, all giving their experience, you know, and so it's a really fascinating document. But anyway, so this is the crucible that we're, you know, that we're coming up in. And there was a program done by Berkeley High School at the time was one of the only high schools in the nation may still be that had an African-American studies department and you had to take a class in the African-American studies department to graduate. It was absolutely, it was a, it was a necessary requirement to graduate. And, uh, you had some young teachers coming out of UC Berkeley that, uh, were working there and were really involved with the kids and were very hip hop, uh, savvy. We came out of the culture, some from New York, some from Oakland, and uh, they had an after-school club called the Live Lyricist Society. Okay. And you might hear, when you look into Bay Area hip-hop, of a crew called the Cytoplasms. You might hear about the Sanitation Department. You might hear about Baswan. These are names that, at the time, rang bells, and these were some of the guys that were in that club that were either, sometimes they went to Berkeley High, sometimes they didn't, but they okay. showed up. And um, so that was kind of where the fundamentals came out of. And when we came back to do the tape, 30 Days in a Plane Ticket, um, which was our first tape, we, uh, we had gotten a lot better through the, through the fire of, of that, uh, you know, of that experience of battling and honing our craft. And also at the same time, you know, you're talking about 92, 93, 94. I mean, these are just... 95 these are just legendary years in hip-hop right so you know the art is just changing and developing and evolving in leaps and bounds so um that's that's how it all started and uh then from there we progressed into the bay area hip-hop scene of that era we got connected to the mystic journeyman through uh mutual friends uh kenny and uh and Dwayne Yan, uh, were some friends from East Oakland, and they connected us to Corey and Tommy. And uh, yeah, that's that's that was kind of our start. Fuck the mind games anyway. Yeah. Yeah, that wasn't fucking yeah. Yeah, let me tell you. Mind games. The cat jumps out Shut of the window, right? Feel the vibe coming down the hall. Right on. Um, so, and then at some point, Fundamentals evolves into, or you take a different route, and uh, the group is Comedic Sons. Well, at that time, you know, you, everything was crew-based, right? So, you know, you obviously had the Wu-Tang Clan, you know, but then also locally, you had, everybody was involved in a crew, and we felt like we just had to crew up. So, um, this coincides with me moving to New York also. Gotcha. So I'm a little bit less involved than I would like to be, but um, a crew develops around people that we were rolling with. Okay. 
friends. I mean, we had started even just in Berkeley High. We had a crew called Mythos that was um, it was graffiti artists that we rolled with. It was rappers. It was uh, just you know just people, just kids. You know, yeah. we were just a, a crew. You know, you you start a crew just to have something to do really mm-hmm. when you're that age. True. You know, especially if you're not involved in sports or extramural you know extramural activities. You know, you just what do you do? You know. Yeah you don't want to be a criminal so <laughs> or maybe you do Just but a, a, a little light criminality <laughs> yeah a little, a lightweight criminality so yeah i mean so but comedic sons formed um probably around 90 95 96 okay post post mythos because at a certain point it was like kind of like we got like 20 dudes down and like what is what does this all mean right and so yeah comedic sons formed out of that and we brought in kirby we met kirby dominant um around this time and kirby had just started at uc berkeley and his dorm room was like a place to be as far as if you were rapping because Kirby was really, really nice off the top of the head. That's how we learned about him. That's how mm-hmm. we, we had heard about him. And back then, you know, of course, you know, there's no internet, there's no uh, cell phone. So you just hear, sure. You just hear that somebody's nice up at UC Berkeley. Right. And, you know, of course we would be up there. We were up at, uh, you know, Telegraph and Durant uh, freestyling and, you know, hanging out and selling tapes and whatever. Yeah. Yeah, we would go up to Kirby's dorm room and freestyle and, you know, smoke out, just kick it. And um, that kind of became the Comedic Sons. We added Hypnotic later. Um, he, you know, I wasn't so much of a part of drafting him, but he was he was really tight with Karma. And that's how that's how we that's how that came to be. Cool. Um, so what like what was your role? Who, who were you in the crew? And like, how did that um kind of affect your place in the hip-hop world um i mean internally i was kind of the linchpin in the sense that i was the person who was recording everything i was the engineer i was the producer i was doing all of the beats was this four track or like uh, yeah a little bit beyond that um mostly four track i okay. mean we would eventually graduate at some point i had a eight tra- a task am eight track wow i have no idea what happened to that <laughs> i don't even know what i did with it um you know, we when we would go to bigger studios, obviously we'd get on twenty four track, um, real, and eventually to ADAT. But, okay. Um, so these yeah. are, these are not bedroom recordings per se. Like this was a like kind of like the a, first the first two tapes definitely are. Okay. That's all four track. Okay. Um, that was and that, all four that track. was the thing back then. It was like Mystic Journeyman are touring the world off yeah. four track yeah. tapes. They weren't. I don't. They're not demos. They're they were the finished product, but they were just four-track records. Yeah, and you know, I still to this day, when I encounter a four-track recording, um, a lot of times it sounds better than what it would have sounded like. I mean, I think, if if anything, I kind of wish that we would have believed in it even more than we did, because mm-hmm. we always felt like, well, if we can just get into a real studio, if we can just, you know... And then when ADATs came around, it's like, we got to get on this ADAT wave. Yeah. And uh, those, reco- those recordings sound whack to me now. Okay. I wish we would have just stuck with the four-track, to be honest. Because... I think if you get really good at four track tape recording, you can do fucking anything. Right. That shit sounds great. Yeah. But I mean, it doesn't, I don't want to say it sounds great. It sounds what it's supposed to sound like. Yeah. Especially for hip hop. Right. Yes. You know, it's not going to sound like what, I mean, but a lot of the recordings that you, a lot of the records that come out now that are tight, they're going for a four track sound. They right. want to sound sloppy. They want to sound bleed like the, 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 the headphone bleed and the, you know, the, the, Reading out every level, like I mean, people are going for that that sound now on digital. Yeah, you can't do better than a four track when you're going for that sound. If you want to go for that choppy underground, you know, hissy tape sound, 
you can get it plus more out of a four track. And I kind of wish we would have be- just believed in it. more. Yeah, that's interesting to hear. Um, so did you like decide you were going to do hip hop, if not for a living as like a lifestyle at that point? Yeah, 100 percent. I mean, you know, at that time, I mean, I was I was young and dumb, so I had all these opportunities ahead of me. You know, I was, uh, you know, look, both of my parents were college educated. I was given like every opportunity to do pretty much whatever I wanted to do you know it's not like we didn't have problems but we you know pretty much raised in a nice home with resources and 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 etc and I, I was just like this is what i'm doing yeah and also i felt like this was way more important this was more vital to put those resources toward like what what else am i gonna do you know and at this time you know also in my you know in my private life you know i'm reading van sertima and malcolm x and Diop and I'm working for Ron Dellum's office, you know, in my spare time, mm-hmm. you know, so I'm all wrapped up in kind of social justice and uh, learning about a lot of the history that we don't get told. I'm reading Zen and I'm, li- you know, lies my teacher told me and sure. stuff like that. So uh, at this point in my mind, uh, this is what's important. You know, this, whatever, uh, whatever the world has to offer me is less worth my time and resources than this other thing. Sure. And so it really wasn't a question in my mind of what I wanted to do. And, you know, when I eventually, when I went to New York, which, you know, you know, of course we're going to, that's the next step, right? Yeah. When I went to New York, it was all part of that. Like it was part of that. Going to the Mecca. Going to the Mecca and spreading spreading the good news, spreading yeah, the word. You totally. know, like like I'm gonna I'm and incorporating more, building our power base, building more 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 support. You know, sure. for what we were trying to do. Yeah. And so that was that was you know even though it was like I was essentially just going to college, right? Yeah, like, yeah I mean, that's most a, people are like, it's good to yeah, have a so reason. I, I went I went to college. You know, <laughs> like, no, for me it was like it was way dressed up and all this other shit. For sure. Know? All right, uh, if you can, uh, just tell me your your Jay Z story, your Telegraph Avenue story. So what, what happened? So essentially, you know, again, I had moved to New York and I was coming back to, you know, as often as I could to do music, you know, do records, do tapes. And so you're an um, active member of the group, but you live 3000 yeah, miles. away. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. And it's also on my head to try to make it all happen. Right. Go you out know, there and get us a deal, buddy. Get us a deal. Yeah. Get us shows. Why are we not performing in New York? Uh, bro, like, New York is really fucking hard to break into. Yeah. Like, and I'm just one dude. Yeah. <laughs> like an 18-year-old kid trying to break in. Yeah. And the crazy thing is that I eventually did, but not the way I wanted to. But anyway, so I'm coming back, and I'm out on Telegraph selling tapes all the time. Every time I came back, it's yeah. like, well, what are we going to do with our day? If right. We, we would wake up. We'd get together. Might go for a walk in Tilden Park. You know, I see you, you got to you got to see some Tilden Park when yeah. you were up here. Um, go for a walk in Tilden Park, smoke out, go down to the Ave, sell tapes. Yeah. Go get some food, go record. Yeah. That was that was the day. Yeah. That I'm, was it. You and I grew up fairly similarly. I'm from San Jose, which is about fifty uh-huh. miles south yeah, of yeah, here. Of course. Um I met the Grouch, I met Rocka Ivory Science. I used to go to Cactus Club. Yeah, dude, yeah, for yeah. sure. Uh-huh. Um and come up to Telegraph and hate and you know, there was yep. kind of like the little circuit. Yep. Um so it's I I the milieu makes sense to me. Um I think Telegraph there was actually more uh vibrancy to it. So it's like you have the university and you have like the anchor record stores, right? Right, exactly, exactly. But you know, honestly, we I mean, we tried to branch out, but uh, you know, it was just it was just what was close to us, honestly. Yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, we're standing out in front of Rasputin's one day 
Um, Leopold's at that point had closed. Okay. Um, we used to stand in front of Leopold's. Yeah. And we also would be down at at uh, at uh, Durant as well, or uh, Bancroft. Bancroft. Um, and, um, you know, we would just, you know, the police would kind of push us around too. Mm-hmm. And they actually arrested uh, Karma at one point, um, one of the only guys to get arrested for selling a tape on Telegraph. Oh, my goodness. Uh, but so we would just, you know, we would have to move around a little bit. And we were standing in front of Rasputin's, which had moved at that point. It used to be on the corner of Durant. And then it was in, at one point in the middle of the block. And then it moved down another block. And it's basically where it currently is now. Mm-hmm. And we were standing in front of there. And I see Jay-Z walking down the street. And he's with, you know, he's got a posse. Yeah. You know, but um, was it's reasonable it's doubt out. This was, re- yeah, this was, re- this was. I want to say this is volume one. Okay. Era. This is post gotcha. reasonable doubt. Gotcha. This is volume one. Okay. So he's a known. A known oh, quantity. absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. On his you know. way to become. And a he's superstar. going to do, he's going to do an in-store. Gotcha. And everybody looks at me cause they're like, well, you the New York guy. <laughs> <laughs> sure, you're like, hanging out in Marcy am, all the time. <laughs> yeah, of course. Of course. Well, the funny thing is, so I have this story about like, you know, I'm DJing a gig in, um, in the projects, you know, I, I uh, Used to date a girl, uh, lived up in the Grant Projects in Harlem. And, um, you know, I'd be up there a lot. And, you know, I DJed, you know, badly, but I still <laughs> DJed. And people knew I was into hip-hop and records and whatever. So, like, yo, can you do do this little party? I don't even remember what the party was for. It was in a community center, you know, typical, you know, New York Project community center party, you know. And I'm playing all this underground shit. East and West Coast, I'm playing, you know, Fortified Live, and I'm playing, um, you know, some probably some Mystic Journeyman shit. <laughs> you <laughs> can only imagine that. how that went over. <laughs> um, you know, and, uh, you know, I might have played some Day Law or something. I don't know. But I'm just, you know, dudes, like, come up to me, and they're like, yo, you know, you got to go. Like, this ain't happening. This is not popping. It's just like, <laughs> okay. And they put on Reasonable Doubt, and they just play the shit twice. Right. right. Start to finish. Yeah. That's the set. That's the set. <laughs> I got housed off the turntables for reasonable doubt in the projects. Anyways, um, so, so yeah, so they're like, you're the New York guy, right? Go sell them a tape. And I'm not even the best tape seller in the crew. Right. I'm not even the second best tape seller in the crew. <laughs> but I'm the New York guy, so I guess I got to do this. And so I just walk up and I give my best pitch, which is just like, yo, you know. Hey, man, you like music? (laughs) (laughs) You like hip hop, right? (laughs) Jay-Z? I know you like hip hop. You're Jay-Z, right? (laughs) And his people are like, get the fuck off of Jay-Z. Get out of our way. Fuck you. Yeah. And, you know, I'm like, okay. (laughs) Okay. Sure. We can do that. (laughs) Yeah. No problem, man. You, You guys have a nice day. And. To his 100, 100% to his credit, Jay is like, yo, what's man's talking? What's little man's talking about? Yeah. And I'm like, I give him the pitch in a much, you know, so I've got my little hip hop tape and, you know, we're just <laughs> little local hip hop guys. <laughs> and he's like, how much is it? I'm like, it's $5. He's like, get a man $5. <laughs> That's the story. That's I an awesome story. I mean, it probably, it probably meant the side of Highway 80 later that night. But, you know, I like to believe that maybe he listened to the first song or two. For sure. (laughs) Or maybe he didn't. Maybe he's sitting in the Jay-Z archive somewhere. (laughs) Whoever whoever cracks Jay-Z's crates... (laughs) <laughs> whichever uh, university gets that uh that yeah. archive or, or ebay ebay kingpin <laughs> yeah. 
so you moved to New York. You are an NYU student. You are yeah. a hip underground hip hop aficionado. Yeah. And you're trying to make things crack for your West Coast crew. Mm-hmm. And at this point, do you meet the Soul Purpose guys, or is that kind of later in the in the tale? No, no, no. That's yeah. No, I do. Um, I mean, so the other main producer in Soul Purpose is a guy named Svi, who uh, is a good, good, good friend of mine. Goes by Hoodie Allen. Um, not the Hoodie Allen that ends up being like, I think there's like some viral rap, young person rap dude named Hoodie Allen. It's not the same guy. <laughs> um, Svi and I are good friends to this day. He's, you know, in the music industry. I'm not going to get too much into what he does, but, um, you know, he and I were production partners and I taught him a lot. He taught me a lot. He, I had technical ability as far as how to work samplers and stuff like that. What was your rig? Um, ASR 10. Okay. It's always ASR 10. Um, but he also had the SP 1200 and, uh, so he taught me the SP. I taught him the ASR. Yeah. And what he had that I didn't have, you know, I was always digging for records. I always sampled, but he had like the whole like East coast sampling gospel that I just had, I just didn't lock into out here. And it's not because it didn't exist. I mean, you got Benny B, you got Matthew Africa, rest in peace. You know, you got, um, Joe Quicks, you know, you got cats out here who were deep with the records. So it's not like I didn't know that it existed. I just was kind of, again, there's no internet, right? There's no, if you didn't know the person to put you on, if you weren't there to, they didn't literally tell you, literally tell you what to do. You don't know. You're just like, Oh, that's the sample to this. And you just had to luck out and find it for sure. So, um, yeah. And to, uh, again, a lot of the producers, a lot of the Bay area producers that I'm cool with and that I've since talked to and work with on reissues and stuff like that. Um, guys that were in San Francisco, your dominoes, your J def from idle mode. Anyways, you know, you got the groove merchant right there. Sure. You know, everybody's connected in some way to the vinyl culture in a way that I just felt like an outsider. I was okay. digging through dollar bins and, you know, and the free bins and Rasputin's and I just right. didn't know even what to look for. Sure. So I get to New York and Svi's like, let me put you down. And he takes me to A1. Okay. And he's like, all right, here's the game. Yeah. And we go to the Roosevelt. Yeah. And we go to, you know, we, I start to get that part of the culture. For sure. And um, so, yeah, so that is a ways off from us doing Soul Purpose. We end up doing some production, you know, together on Conceptual Dominance. And we end up working together on... That's your group with Kirby Dominant, right? That's my group with Kirby Dominant. That's right. Come on. Intelligence me. Attack savages, huh? The track ravages, so damage is double. We continue with the struggle attack. Straps and racks is how we combat. Time flows on, but chuck, our songs are stronger than that. It's like the hat ticket. I jack with them. We big fat twist them. Cat fuckers at that. But I conceptualize ideas that dominate. I assassinate or impeach. I don't dominate. So Kirby comes out to Howard to do a a semester out there okay he's again a, he's a cow right so he does a you know a semester at howard and he's like yo i'm in dc let me come up yeah i'm living in the bronx at the time i'm like yo come through and we basically laid all of that all of that music at that time and um we did four track demos of everything then we went back and, and redid it in a, yeah. a, a better studio but basically that whole record is done on the east coast on beats that you know i was making at the time and with some input again from my partner's fee and um yeah that's that's 
that's how that got going. Yeah. I only have, uh, I, I didn't actually meet him. I was just around him one time. I used to go to all of the quantum shows, like Soul Sides and then Quantum when they came. I was a huge quantum head. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just remember him. Um, I think this was a show at Maritime Hall. Um, and Sounds they, about right. They, he just like, he had a very striking, like, kind of flair to him. Like, I just remember he came flare in like, is a good word. he came with like dressed. Like, oh, we, yeah. all, we, we all looked. Like shit, you know what yeah. I mean? Like I have like my, you know, it's not that different from how I dress now. Some scuffed Air Max, yeah, yeah, my yeah. Levi's, uh, maybe the a schlubby yeah, uh, Bay Area hip hop vibe, uh, some yeah. kind of DJ culture T-shirt, and like you know, my hair is too long. And uh, he came in like with a full on like uh, I don't want to say suit, but just dressed. Kirby's like, good for some velvet, yeah, dude. Had, some snake skin. Had like a straight up like scarf. Ruffles. Yeah, yeah dude. A scarf? It was crazy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was that. just I I I remembered that you for twenty five years. You should actually <laughs> go on YouTube and look up Daddy Flair with an E at the end of Flair. Daddy okay. Flair. It's actually a really funny video that he does as an alter ego. But nice. That's he's one hundred percent Flair. Yeah. And I love him. I, seems I love like a Kirby. Total character. Still one of my best friends to this day. I mean, post hip hop, we you know I, he's been at he was at my wedding. I was at his wedding. Yeah. Like you know we 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 you know Cody's for life. Straight that's up. That's cool. Straight that's up. cool. Um. All right. So Soul Purpose kind of got a deal and like um did it did what ended up happening with Comedic Sons? So. Things got kind of strained because, like I said, I'm the linchpin, right? But yeah. I'm in New York, right? So how does this work? Yeah, I don't, especially pre-internet, I don't get how that would work at all. Um, I'm well. Now we're getting into Internet 1.0. Gotcha. Right. So I'm still mailing CDs. Okay. But we've got email with Beats. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 But we've got email. Gotcha. We don't have email that can send a Dropbox, right? Or a, attach an MP3 to right. it. Right. But you can argue. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and we can send we can send contracts to each other. Like, if you don't sign this, I'm not doing the work. <laughs> but yeah, so I mean, I'm you know I'm slaving away. First of all, I do Project Ambershine. Okay, right. The tape Project Ambershine happens in about '97. This is around the Sandbox era, and um, I uh, you know I'm living in Harlem. This is before I moved up to the Bronx. I, I'm living in Harlem, and I do that tape, and it does really well. Okay. It takes off. Yeah. It's actually our best-selling tape to this day. Yeah, I, I've heard of it. I've heard of it back then. Um, we sold more units of that than we sold of any other tape. Interesting. And so Do you I'm, think the timing was right, or is it the best work, or is it just a combination of various factors? I mean, I think it's, it, I think it's all those things, right? Okay. I think that it's a singular work that, you know, it's different than trying to unite a bunch of different personalities on a, on a single thing. Mm -hmm. And especially like having people in different locations, different walks of life, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, but conversely, it also happened at the time when we had done a lot of the groundwork with our first two tapes, Mm -hmm. 30 days and then pattern fall wars to, um, to, to, to make it happen, you know, to, to, to make it pop. I believe it was last year about this time When I broke out through the gate to meet my fate Leaving L.A. behind And to find a new zone Where I was virtually unknown Surrounded by hella doubt Before I gripped a microphone And now I own some respect And fools is hella quick to ride the dick Before I interject Selecting targets to hit But fools wasn't down before I came around 
with this battle shit And it's easy to forget that they're not talking about me They're talking about those other folks who like to battle MC And I haven't even tripped even though some attempt to pump the people that they down with But never down to ride when it's time to collide with some fools from another side A fool like that will get shot where I used to reside But I swallow my pride and try to let y'all fools run this show And y'all show me hella love And so, so Ambershine does really well and so I'm kind of a little bit more, now I'm a little bit more cocky. I'm like, I'm making all the beats. My tape did really well. Yes, I'm not getting us shows in New York, but I'm kind of holding this all down. And we do the hypnotic tape and um, it's just a hassle. It's just a struggle to get everything done. It's a struggle to book the studio time. It's a struggle to get everybody on board. People want to do 8 million different overdubs and rework their verses, and I don't like that. And I, me personally, I also don't like it because some of the shit really sucks to me. It's a bad experience. Okay. And um, we get to kind of – the next thing we're supposed to do in the kind of, again, the Wu-Tang model, right, is that everybody gets to do their solo, and then we come back and we do the group album. Right. You know, we got delusions of grandeur like a motherfucker. So it worked for them. It yeah, has to work yeah, for yeah. you. And we are definitely as good as the Wu Tang. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, so so uh, basically, it all starts to fall apart. Okay. And I decide at a certain point, I'm just gonna pull the pin. Yeah. I'm the I'm the linchpin. Yes. And. If I pull the pin, nothing's going to work. Yeah. And all the shit that I'm having to deal with, all the stuff that I'm like pushing back on and all the stuff where I'm fighting for authority. And bear in mind also, I'm fucked up too because I'm not the only person that's holding it together. Meanwhile, right. my partner, Brett, Karma, is doing all the business. Right. Like he's doing all the books. He's yeah. doing all the, he's making sure the tape sales get funded back. He's funding all the records. Right. Like, you know, so it's not, I'm not the only person doing it, but I think I'm the only person doing it. Okay, good point. I want to pause there and be like, and are you also like writing papers and going to class and yeah, oh yeah, having absolutely. a job absolutely. and like living in New York for the first time and like just 100%. having a crazy, like the, the college experience and 100%. trying to build a music career and trying to be a person, right? So, so I mentioned Svi earlier. So Svi is part of a promotions company called Live and Direct Entertainment, okay. which if you're hip to New York nightlife, Live and Direct is a, a titanic name. And live and direct promoted every major concert most major concerts rap concerts i should say that came okay. through new york i mean the list if you go buy that no sleep book uh -huh. the stretch did yeah their 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 flyers are prominently featured okay um i'm running with them okay i'm 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 running flyers i'm running errands i'm getting drunk rappers to the hotel right. i'm getting sober rappers their liquor right i'm uh, you know, I'm side stage for legendary performances. I mean, we're talking about Run DMC, Outkast, De La Soul, uh, the Big L, the Big L Memorial Concert. Oh my god! That had everybody from DITC oh, there. I just got the chills. Um, common, crazy. common sense, Red Man. Uh, I mean, it just the list goes just goes on and on. Yeah. And, on. and are you like? sliding people tapes or are you just kind of trying to keep your world separate or I'm, I'm trying to be respectful of the game that's cool and so like one thing i've learned in this game and i think this has actually kept me relevant and kept me successful is the more you self-promote the less people want to fuck with you and it's not bad for you to try to get people your music but you that can't be your first thing sure you can't your first thing out the gate can't be like yo check out my tape that's yeah. going to shut 
somebody down so quick, you're not you're gonna forget that they even existed. Right. And they, more more to the point, they're gonna forget you ever existed. <laughs> um, yeah, especially these guys. So no, no, I wasn't like sliding people my tape. Yeah. You know, the Jay Z experience was singular because it was a situation where I could tell him what we were doing, and he could say, "Yes, I want that," and yeah. that never got me any professional situation out of that for sure but i can tell you i got way more out of just being around the business and not promoting myself yeah and watching instead watching and listening and learning yeah and living to fight another day for sure than to play myself out and be like yo red man you gotta get my (laughs) tape bro that shit ain't gonna work it still doesn't work yeah it still doesn't work totally um, so at this time, you were also, or you were about to, uh, work at the legendary kind of distro early internet hub for underground hip hop sandbox automatic. Yeah, absolutely. So that happened right around the same time as all of this, all of this was happening simultaneously. Yeah. So yes, I'm writing papers. <laughs> I was taking Egyptology classes cause I really thought I was that on that, on that wave. Um, <laughs> I didn't know what I wanted to do in college, but I was just like, yeah, I'm, I'm into Egyptology. Um, you know, I was in the music business, uh, the, the school of music business, which at that time was not Clive Davis and Questlove. It right. was some like washed up post label dude with a stack of VHS tapes. Like, let's look at some videos. It's just <laughs> like, Bro, like, no, <laughs> I'm way more connected than you are. Yeah. And there was one guy in there that actually tried to sign me and it was, it was, it was such a joke. He's on Ambershine. I immortalized him on Ambershine. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, I'm not even going to say his name. I don't even want to put him out there like that. Put, give him that shine. Um, so yeah, so I'm doing all of that stuff. I'm making beats. I'm sending those beats to California I'm working at Sandbox and promoting shows and, uh, you know, and trying to wake up in the morning to go to my classes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's amazing the the stamina that we have as 19, 20, 21 year olds. Like, yeah. Imagining doing that now is just incredible. Yeah. I, how? You're, how? you're kind of stressing me out, like saying how busy your life was back then. But it just seemed like, I mean, it seemed normal. And, it's, I, you know, I think that that was a way to, you know, when I think about why I went to New York, that's why. Right. That's why. To to be able to do that, to be able to 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 get to put my foot in it like that. Right. It's like, wow, okay. Yeah. I'm really in the mix right now. I'm really in the game. And I don't I mean, I have a lot of regrets for not being around in California during formative times, but that's you know when I think about everything that I was able to 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 learn and to absorb during that time. That's that's a whole different thing. You know? um, tell me about working at Sandbox. Like, are, <laughs> I'm picturing like a call center kind of vibe. Sort of. Yeah, okay. Sort of. And it, your nightlife is lightly glamorous, but this seems like kind of like dingy boxes everywhere. But you're also seeing what sells and like the lifeblood of like you're kind of in the backpack era of underground hip hop, right? As it ex- as it's exploding. Yeah. Well, the so, funny the funny thing is is that so we we would go down to fat beats and we would go down to beat street and we'd go to, uh, what's it called? Red eye, uh, distribution. I mm-hmm. want to say. Yeah. Um, buds, buds distribution. Right. Um, I remember them. And, um, we would, uh, we would pick up, it wasn't, I don't think it was Red Eye. I think buds. Um, and we would pick up boxes mm-hmm. of these titles now, Fat Beats, and we would go to also Footwork as well. Okay. Um, and Fat Beats and Footwork, obviously, this was their stock and trade. You know, mm-hmm. it was underground rap records. Yeah. Right? But you go to Beat Street, and they're like, you want this shit? 
<laughs> we did someone's you can cousin a have favor. It. You can have it at cost. <laughs> they would. They wanted nothing more than to get rid of these records. They couldn't sell them for the life. Right. And, you know, so I learned something about the industry. I didn't learn it at that time. It was only in retrospect that I understood what that all meant. Sure. You know, but at that time, we were selling those records again to, like I said, to Finland and Maine and Nebraska and Puerto Rico and Germany and Russia and all over the place. You know, it was just like it, it and it was funny because at that time, you know, we would get people's moms calling us and they right. couldn't pronounce the artists. Right. I remember somebody asking us for Jeru the Damaja <laughs> and uh, Shazba the Disciple. <laughs> uh, you know, so, um, you know, it was funny because it was kids. You know, it was kids that was ordering these it, records. It was, I was kids. Yeah, it was yeah, my yeah, mom's yeah. credit card for sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and all, all due respect to moms that can't pronounce rap names. Yeah. It, we don't judge you for it. It's okay. <laughs> you know, I know you're not racist. <laughs> Um, you know, and you know, it was just, it was just wild. It was wild to see it, you know, it was wild to see it, but yes, absolutely. We were in an office building in the fashion district in New York, um, actually right above rock and soul okay. on a uh, seventh Avenue and 34th street gotcha, or 35th or whatever it was. And, um, you know, right down the hall from Shabazz brothers jeans, uh, I actually was sported many, uh, Shabazz brothers products because we would get free, <laughs> free, free giveaways. Now, I guarantee you I was the only non-felon in New York rocking Shabazz <laughs> Brothers. Um, were you getting things for yourself? Like, were you building a collection? Did you care? No, nah, I didn't. I, I didn't. No, number one, I didn't care. I yeah. was fully in the beats at that point. Okay. Buying hip-hop to me was, like, the wildest thing. Like, it was like... But the funny thing was, I only wanted... I was fully... Like, I was the guy that would bring... We would go to another town. Because we were touring, mm-hmm. right? So, I would go to Austin. Right. During the record convention. Right. And no shit from shit as far as records went. Right. But, you know, I'd bring back up. I literally brought back a box of Slick Rick Great Adventures sealed one time. Wow. And I just traded them all to A1 and Sound Library. And, yeah. you know, I'd walk away, you know, $35 Slick Rick 12 inch. Or, you know, like, yeah. I have, wait, I have the Slick Rick album. Why am I trading it for a 12? <laughs> you know, the Hey Young World 12 inches on the wall. But right. I also, I was buying beats, you know, and stuff like for that. For sure. So, um, but again, not hip enough to be buying rare 45s or you know jazz and stuff you know stuff that i thought would keep a lot of the stuff i bought didn't keep its value sure i was just young i just didn't know anything yeah and um so no the idea to buy like a you know even at that time crappy to me crappy indie rap record the fact that it would hold value later right was just like no yeah and a slim few have and many have not (laughs) and uh well uh, you also so, so much timing because like some of those records like had like six months of being valuable. Right. And now they're not valuable anymore. Again. Yes. I so. funded a trip to Mexico with like uh grouch and Eli 12 inches. Uh, on, uh, my first eBay hey, shout sale. Out, shout out grouch and Eli, bro. Absolutely. <laughs> um, like, no, and, real, and then I looked later and I, it was a $40 record for like six weeks. I happened to catch yeah. it at the right time. And then six weeks later it's, it's gone and it just became a normal record again. Yeah. And there was just a time where what was normal for us in the Bay Area was highly desirable in other parts of the world, and that was totally. kind of my intro totally. to eBay. And late Discogs hasn't even hadn't even been invented yet, but just uh, basically the online hustle of like you know, right, dollar ninety five at Amoeba and 
twenty nine ninety five on eBay. That was a fun time. Hey man, that's a nice markup. <laughs> that's a nice markup. So anyway, let's 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 move on because I yep. feel like that's a good segue to the to the good records. Thing. Absolutely. So you founded Good Records, which was aptly named. It was an awesome record store. I went once when Thank I was you. on vacation in New York. Thank you. I always thought of it as New York's kind of version of Groove Merchant. I don't know that's if right. that was the idea. That was but the idea. Yeah. Um, shout out! Shout out Chris Veltry and shout out Mike McFadden because I one hundred percent. Bit your idea. <laughs> <laughs> but ever, all of my friends who've ever opened a record store, talked about opening a record store, want it to be their town's version of Groove Merchant. And you got you got close. Well, was, I think, I, cool, think that, <laughs> I think that that's I think that that's a really um, it's important to shout out Chris, especially because Chris is still doing it to this day. Absolutely. You know. I, I go to Groove Merchant almost on a weekly basis. Yeah, and just and killing the game with the ephemera now too. Yeah, and that he's level evolved up is and just you know just just continues to 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 be relevant and just continues to kill the game with 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 crazy collectibles and just continue to keep the vibe. I mean, yeah. th- that's what I always wanted. The vibe is like everything to a retail shop, and if you can create that vibe, and I see this across all different products, right? And if you can get the vibe that gets people to want to patronize you and is something bigger than you mm-hmm. and something bigger than them mm-hmm. and make everybody a part of that. That's the secret to success. And I learned that of course, over my, you know, nearly 15 years of retail, but then also that was what we were originally going for. That was always the, the, yeah. the, the point. I, you know? you, it, it's a cool looking building and it's memorialized in like kind of the illustration that yeah. you guys use to, yeah, to do your branding and your tote bags and stuff. And uh, yep. the walk down into it, is so New York. That's a very it, New York thing. It's like thing. the cheers kind of like, you know, we don't have that here. Yeah, so it was yeah. like uh, the first time I went, I was like, oh, I must be here. Let's do this. <laughs> um, so tell me a little bit about like your life running a record shop. Like it seems like your life kind of took a major turn. You, We kind of skipped over a bunch of early out of college stuff, but now we're here. Yeah, that's all right. What so. was it like to run that record store? Um... What was it like? I mean, it was just, it was just all, first of all, it was all in. It was like basically, so one, the one thing that I'll touch on to, to set it up is that I got laid off. I had a finance job and I got laid off because the company had gotten into a bunch of trouble. And the good, the good news was that I I got a, I got a severance from that layoff. And, um, and, uh, I, uh, I just decided, I, you know, I was young. I was newly single because my girlfriend and I, now my wife, but my girlfriend and I at that time had broken up. Okay. Um, she didn't like the version of me that she saw at that company, and I don't blame her. I didn't like it much either. Yeah, I hear you. And um, so I was, I'm, I'm single. I'm childless. I'm, what was I, 24, 25, 23, somewhere around there. That's young to be. I, I don't want to do that. I don't want to quite do the math. But yeah. um, <laughs> anyways. So, you know, I just was like, let me go for it. And at that time, see, the crazy thing is now the idea of getting into a retail business now sounds totally insane. Totally. You would need hundreds of thousands of dollars back then. And and back then, of course, it wasn't what it was 20 years prior to that. Right. But, you know. Brief moment to pause and say RIP Park Boulevard. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That, was a, that was a heavy loss uh, for the Bay Area record scene just last weekend. Yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, you know. small small fact i actually worked at park boulevard i moonlighted at park boulevard while good records still existed when i moved after i moved out here and i just felt like i needed to just couldn't get away stay in the game you know (laughs) keep keep myself sharp you know (laughs) um but uh but yeah so anyway and of course you know 
Andrew slash Nas is just a great, great friend and a friend to my shop as well. And, um, have a wonderful digging story, uh, with him that I can regale you with later. But anyways, um, so yeah, so I, I decided I just wanted to do something, something for myself and just give myself a shot. You know, I felt like I hadn't given myself a shot really ever. You know, I felt like even with Comedic Sons, even with, uh, Sandbox, you know, all of these, even live and direct, all of these things that I had been through, I was always in support of something else. Sure. And, and I just had never given myself a shot. Yeah. And um, I said, let's do this, you know, uh, and I pulled together, you know, I had what I thought was a good team of people. I pulled together what at that time was enough money to get myself what I thought was enough money to get myself off the ground. It definitely wasn't <laughs> enough money to get myself off the ground. <laughs> um, you know, did I, you buy a couple big collections before or did you just kind of you know, put your nah, personal I mean, stuff out and yeah, open the door? I like, know. what did you do? <laughs> it was it was funny. You know, we thought we you know, we had been hitting. So Simon Greenberg is a big part of this story. And shout out, shout out, Sliman, um, you know, a.k.a. Two Bridges Music and Arts, a.k.a. Young Scrappy, uh, a lot of AKs. <laughs> um, uh, he was an absolute 100 percent partner in the opening of Good Records. He was somebody that I had gotten tight with through Soul Strut. Okay. Um, and uh, but he was in New York City, and he was connected to the nightlife in New York City. So we didn't get tight on the internet so much as we just happened to meet. Okay. And then we met in person, and then we went from there. Gotcha. Um, but he was very much in the downtown New York City scene. He was affiliated with a lot of big brands that now, of course, are you know huge, you know, worldwide fashion brands and stuff like that. Um, he was just deep in, he was just deep in the game and he was a young cat. He's, you know, maybe, you know, not quite 10 years younger than me, but maybe, you know, five to seven years younger than me. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we, he and I would hit the fleas every, you know, every weekend. Sure. Um, we would go down to, you know, various spots around New York city. Uh, we were just constantly buying records to deal, but also we kind of, you know, we're trying to build something. And, uh, you know, that was a lot of the stock that went in. He cut off a big portion of his collection. I cut off a big portion of my collection in addition to all this other stuff that we had bought. Mm -hmm. But no, we weren't at that point. We weren't getting into. I mean, we I mean, maybe through luck, we might get into a collection here or there. But okay. like, you know, it wasn't like it, it wasn't like after the store got going and now I'm getting house calls and now I'm going to, you know, I'm traveling down a you know, different states and I'm going to different neighborhoods and, you know, getting into thousand, two thousand, five thousand, ten thousand piece collections and right. so on and so forth. Um, we were, we were small time. We didn't start with a lot, you know, and I wish we would have for sure. It would have been sure would have been nice, yeah. you know, but, um, yeah. that wasn't what we, what we had. Right on. But at the time we didn't feel like we needed it. I mean, honestly, again, it's important to remember the time, you had a couple shops, but you didn't have a shop every couple of blocks like right. it is now. Yeah, and I feel like a kind of a wave had died out, right? Like yeah. you had your A ones and your um, what was the, the other sound library? Thank you. Yes, and, that was and like I big shout out to blew them my mind when again, I was younger. Again, I wouldn't even be doing what I was doing if it wasn't for the sound library. So yeah. I don't want to ever, ever, ever throw a shot at them. Like Jared, first of all, is a mentor to me. Rob and Steve. You know, I see Steve usually at the shows when I go back to the East Coast, and he's an OG and is all all respect due, one hundred percent. Absolutely, 
Um, and so you're kind of part of the next thing and you're in like kind of a, a cool neighborhood and like, yeah, um, and, there's and a, other, it's, there's like other nodes of the culture happening. Around, and I have right? a really small shop. Yeah. And this is, again, this is a different thing. Having a small, tiny little shop where you've got, it's not genre specific, right? You, it's not just beats. It's not just disco. Yeah. It's not just punk. It's not just classic rock. We have all of those things. Yeah. And we're not going to discriminate either. Right. You know, we're not going to say, oh, we don't do Led Zeppelin here. Right. We're not going to say we don't do television here. Right. We're not going to say we don't do Mrs. Beastly and the Mixed Pickles here. <laughs> we're not going to say we don't do Caetano Veloso here. Right. We do all of that shit. For sure. And again. And that's kind of a of the time beat digging ethos. Like it was pretty wide open. Yeah. And you could kind of pull from wherever. But there wasn't that shop. That yeah. was the thing. There That's wasn't cool. I mean, you could I mean, we found all those records. You know, you could say, oh well, I found a Caetano Veloso record at Academy. Yes, we did do that. You know, you could find you could find uh I, I remember finding a Terry Callier in the bargain bin at uh at a sound library. Wow. You know, I mean there's different you could find stuff around yeah. but to present it in a different way. And that was again preceding the era of pop-ups and just dressing up the retail a little bit more. Absolutely. So we thought that that was important. And again, I think really Sound Library really pioneered that of not just being a record store, right. but like dressing it up a little bit. Yeah. Um, so we, we that's what we tried to do. And uh, we, it was successful. And one of the big reasons for our success was connectivity with the internet, which okay. is where the forums come in. Yeah, for and, sure. You know, So... Um, I first became aware of John Sklut through uh, Soul Strut mm -hmm. and Waxidermy. I was yep. much more of a lurker. I feel like you were actually shout out, part shout out, shout out Rick Smith, shout out Jeff Hassett. Ab absolutely. Um, I feel like you were you were just one of the people who would kind of keep the conversation going, always dropping knowledge, and like you just seemed like a cool guy. <laughs> I just so. like to talk shit, man. I, yeah, <laughs> I, I was at my record store job, kind of slotting records. Doing my little lists and kind of like what pecking shop away. Was you at? You was at uh, Streetlight Records. Oh, Streetlight. Okay. Yeah. Okay. yeah. yeah. For uh, seven years, um, I ran our hip hop Found section. Mad shit at Streetlight. It was San Francisco Streetlight. Yeah, still. for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I. It was kind of bad for everyone else that I worked there. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't the most scrupulous buyer uh -huh. all the time, and like a lot of the good records stuff, would end stuff up in, in my whole yeah, bag. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, that was part of the game. I, I, we can maybe get into this uh, at another time, but like I've encountered a lot of people lately in my, my friends, my peers, who regard their record thing as an addiction, uh -huh. and I guess I was addicted back then. Like I've, I, I mean, had, a, I had a problem. One, it's, one, it's one, it's one way to look at it. Yeah, for sure. I, I, mean, I don't now. I feel like I have, I'm in a positive place with it. Okay, but I didn't okay. have to go to any meetings or anything. I just had to <laughs> sell a couple hundred forty fives. Do I need? Do I? Do I need to lead some meetings? <laughs> um, so give give our listeners a insight into what it's like to be in NYC. Like, would Pete Rock come into the shop, or do you have any like little yeah, no doubt. little stories? Um, I mean, you know. It's 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 not as sexy as 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 you'd want it to be. I right. mean, you know, yeah, people come in the shop. I mean, but it's always it's the same thing as with live and direct, right? Like you just got to try to be normal around yes, these people. So for sure. like Just Blaze is in there, Q-Tip is in there. Right. Uh Pete Rock, Showbiz, Showbiz especially cuz Showbiz is a scary motherfucker. Is he? And, I mean, you know, he's I mean, he's a nice guy. He's I'm just, I'm not trying though. to Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, but it's uh, just like I mean, he just he's just quiet and just kind of holds himself. And you know, there's rumors about, you know, this guy's a tough dude, you mm -hmm. know. So like, you know, I'm just saying like you just want to try to be a good customer service person. I always felt like 
you know, I remember Mad Lib had a line on Quasimodo, like, let me dig, give me space. Yeah. And I always, I always took that to heart. I was always like, you know, you don't, I don't want to run up and get the autograph. Yeah. Like, I mean, I'm the fan in me wants to. Yeah. But like, I I just want to just make sure, you know, Hey man, you know, here's something that I got. I just got in, check it out. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. Oh, if you're looking for that over there. Right. We just got a bunch of sick this or that. Check that out. For sure. But one of the things like that you honestly, would for any kind of like high right. dollar kind of like educated customer. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. But one of the things that like actually I felt really strong about when I started my shop was that producers always had like a special box behind the counter. Okay. And I thought that was whack. Mm-hmm. I thought that was because not all of us can be superstar producers. Right. Mm-hmm. And 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 coming from that perspective, I was just kind of like, you know what? I'm not going to keep some kind of, well, maybe if I develop a relationship with somebody and then, you know, I can show them where the cool stuff is, you know, shout out Jake one. Jake's a guy that always had access to my back room because we were always tight. Yeah. And he, he, he paid respect and he came through and he broke bread. Yeah. Some of these other guys, they just pop in and they're just like, well, where's your hype shit? You know, I mean, you know, like, Hey bro, like it's going to come out as it comes out. Yeah. If I sell you all the good shit, What's going to be left for everybody else? Yeah, for sure. So, um, anyways, yeah, I mean, you would you would get. I mean, to me, the crazier thing was seeing like crazy like other types of stars, like movie stars or um, musicians who weren't uh, hip hop producers or whatever. So you see like Glenn Danzig or Anne Hathaway or Ryan Gosling. <laughs> Anne Hathaway came to good records several times. Flip around a little bit, yeah, buy yeah, anything. She bought a, bought a, bought a really? bunch of shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That surprises me. That's she awesome. She was very actually. excited, very yeah. excited about it, and she was super cool, super nice. That's you know? dope. You know, never, never betrayed. I mean, I mean, I mean, you know, people know that you know who you know that I know that you know that I know. <laughs> like, how could you not with a but, star of that? But you know, no, she was always cool. Yeah. You know, always hey, Ryan chill. Gosling apparently is kind of a head. He had a band. Uh, he just bought Steely Dan. I don't know, I don't know <laughs> what the fuck. I mean, you know, he could have, he could have been any other dude, you know, <laughs> that's hilarious. Um, but no, nah, I mean, you know, like, I mean, Matt Damon, obviously is historically a sick collector. He bought a bunch of African records from me. That's cool. Um, early on again, you know, we were real early on the African, uh, record yeah. thing, you know, uh, dealing with Frank Gosner really early, even before that, my man, Africa, Sam was bringing stuff back from Nigeria, um shout out africa sam by the way he's down in la doing his thing got some kids etc um so yeah so i mean but it was just i mean it was amazing it was it was as rock star as i would want to get at that point you know like every day i mean we're driving down to baltimore we're driving to vermont we drive into uh where are we going i mean what's the deal what's going on we're driving to pa you know yeah let's get on the road let's go do some things yeah um we're going to queens we're going to the bronx you know like we're getting into basements we're getting into attics like i mean once it really got cracking that was and shout out shout out my man alan ivano shout out my man paul hutton because they put me on as far as uh you know a lot of collections and i know those names don't ring out the same way they used to but back then um they really got me connected to a lot of stuff so i always try to give it up for people that 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 put me on because lord knows you know i didn't do all this shit myself this is your host johnny paycheck AKA Johnny Pachuco. And you're tuned in to 4663 on your AM dial. 
That's good radio. Radio Bueno. And we got some good radio for you tonight. Some tunes to ride out to. We're going to roll until the wheels fall off here. Good. This is going out to all you peewees and you veteranos. All of my chicas out there. Call us up. We'll be taking your calls all night. As we cruise on through Impalaville. Um, so let's talk a little bit about your mix in Paulaville. It's under the Johnny Paycheck DJ moniker. Yeah, Johnny Pachuco. It's, it's a it's a lowrider soul mix. Yeah, straight so up. Like, um, how did it come about? Um, it, it got like physically pressed up. I want to yeah, say like shrink wrapped copies. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. I had some at my store. Like, I I just it, it's I still kind of a big up. deal. Yeah, I still get hit up. It's for, a it's for a CDs. great mix. Just since we're meeting for the first time in person, <laughs> I'm a you, huge fan you. of it. And like <laughs> that sound is really important to my town and where I'm from. So, um, well, that's like, you know, that's why I great. did it. That's yeah. why I did it. I mean, you know, I grew up out here, and and you know, my intro to soul music is 100% oldies shows. Yeah, you know. Um, I can't say that I, you know, I didn't grow up in LA. I didn't go to a car show and hear Art LeBeau, you know, yeah, like, for I mean, sure. I probably was listening to, you know, the quiet storm and kiss FM. Like, I mean, my earliest memories of hearing like always and forever, uh, for all seasons. Um, what's the originals cut this, this on there, baby, I'm for real, mm-hmm. you know, those kind of songs, for you know, sure. Um, you know, it was late night. I used to go to sleep with the radio on. Mm-hmm. So, um, when I was a kid, so, you know, I would just hear the late night radio and I would just scan and that shit sounded like I'm trying to mellow out. Right. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, then later on I started buying low rider magazine cause I was horny. <laughs> <laughs> Not to put too fine of a point on it. <laughs> I mean, I, look, I like lowriders too. I mean, I was into hip hop, yeah, right? There, so there you are know. cars behind those girls yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. Listen, I'm watching Dr. Dre videos, so I'm seeing the lowriders, you know, sure. and Kid Frost and everything else. Absolutely. But you know, also, also there were models. And um, again, we didn't have the internet. Yeah, so yeah. There's no get porn. it where you can get it. <laughs> um, so, anyways, you know, it was just a, it was just a, a, a combination of those things that, again, early type early. I wanted to go back and just give tribute, you yeah. know, and I never wanted to make it seem like I was making fun or light of it. And I never wanted to definitely didn't want to seem like I was appropriating. It. And I think that comes through that I did it with my homeboy Drez, by the way. Shout out Drez, not DJ Drez, different dude. Shout out Drez uh, from from Santa Ana, you know, uh, big dude down in down in down in the southern part of the state doing graffiti and other things uh, was tight with Dusk, R.I.P. And um you know, he was out in New York at the time, and we just linked again, I think through Soul Strut. Okay. Um, and we just linked, and he was into lowrider shit. And I was like, okay, well, I'm into this shit too. Yeah. And so we, we went through records, and we did all of the shout outs with some, a, a couple of small exceptions of guys that I had. Uh, my boy A1 from San Jose. Do you oh, know yeah. A1, Anthony? I Day, don't. Days Men Empire? Yes. Okay. So I Anthony, know who he is. He did. He did yeah. a couple of shout outs on there because okay. he, he had just moved to New York. Yes. With uh, with with Juan. What does Juan go by? Um, Style Messiah. I know Style Messiah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So they had just moved out to New York. So, gotcha. so a- Anthony did a couple of drops on on Impala. Okay. Uh, but yeah, yeah. So we did that, and um, yeah, it was tight. It it came off. Uh, sounded good. Um. And people love it to this day. Yeah, people it's, love a, it to it's this a great day. mix. My days have grown. 
would like to talk about someone, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. I feel uh-huh. like he was an employee at Good Records. Mm-hmm. Gio? Gio, yeah, yeah, yeah. Gio, Gio okay, Cortez, so, so Gio Escobar. Gio and Standing on the Corner and your kind of like influence on getting their music out there. Can you just kind of tell me the story? <laughs> yeah, 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 sure. Um, I mean, first of all, shout out Gio. That's my guy. Um, that's, that's, I mean, it's not my son, obviously I don't have a son, but, um, (laughs) you know, that's, that's my younger generation right there. That's, that's my heart, you know, um, love him, love him, love you, Gio, if you see, (laughs) if you hear this, um, anyways, um, the story is kind of funny because Gio, uh, was working at my shop, Ben Pirani. Do you know Ben Pirani? Uh, not personally, but yeah, I know yeah. who he is. So Ben Pirani had been working in my shop for a long time, and Ben is a is a fantastic uh, individual, fantastic musician who, uh, you know, did a huge amount for my shop. I mean, again, there are so many unsung heroes in the whole process, and Ben is one of them. Um, so sing his praises real quick. But um, Ben was like, man, this, there's this kid hanging around the shop. I think you should give him a job. Again, you know, I was like relying on like one dude to do three people's jobs. Sure. So he was like, man, I need some help over here. Yeah. And he's like, you know, this kid's hanging around the shop. I think you should give, give him a job and maybe it'll work out. And so I'm like, all right, you know, I'll take a chance, I guess. And um, I hire him. We have a little conversation about like, you know. Here's how here's how this all works, and mm-hmm. you do this and you do that, and here's how you ring up a sale and so on and so forth. Whatever, it's that's the end of the discussion. And so Ben comes to me and he's like, "Yo, have you heard this dude's music?" I'm like, "No, what music?" He's like, oh, "This dude's his, his music is kind of cool. Well, what's it like?" I'm like, I don't know, man. It's like experimental electronic in my house. In my head, I'm thinking house music. I'm like, right? He's because he and I had had a conversation about that. How he had, you know. His dad lived in New Jersey, and he was into, you know, house and freestyle. But Gio didn't like that. So I was like, oh, that's weird. Uh, but okay, maybe it's house and freestyle. I don't I don't know what the fuck this is. But <laughs> I'm like, whatever, man. His SoundCloud. I don't want to hear his SoundCloud. <laughs> I don't want to hear anyone's nah, SoundCloud. Fuck your SoundCloud. <laughs> and so anyways, so a couple of weeks go by, and Ben's like, did you listen to that shit? And I was like, no, nah, I didn't. And he's like, man, you should check it out. It's pretty good. I'm like, all right, yeah, I'll check it out. And then, like, I don't know, maybe a couple of weeks later, Simon comes to me. And Simon's like, dude, did you check this shit out? Did you check <laughs> Gio's shit out? And so, again, you know, Simon, who helped me get my shop off the ground, mm-hmm. Simon's taste is unimpeachable. I swear by Simon on basically everything. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, all right, I better check this out. I get like five minutes into this into this tape, and I called Gio. I'm like, dude, what the fuck are you on? Dude? Yeah, like, what is this shit? Yeah, and it's kind of hard to describe once you've heard it. Right, it's very unique, but it's like, okay, coming off of Impalaville is interesting because there's lowrider shit in there. There is, right? yes, there's Ralphie Pagan, yeah, and there's Joe Batan. Mm-hmm. You know, there's all of this stuff, and then but there's also weird electronics. And there's Joel Santana, 
and there's, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and there's there's dub, and yeah. there's, I mean, there's all of this stuff. Yeah. So it's and, like, and I, I don't know where you would file it in a record store. We're talking about the band standing on the corner. I don't know if we yeah. properly introduced that, but um, <laughs> <laughs> where like jazz is that where it would end up? I don't know what you call it. Man. I don't know either. Yeah. I was. I'm I was gonna intrigued. quote. I'm gonna quote DJ Khaled, and I'm gonna say, you know what it's called? It's called great music. <laughs> <laughs> That's literally true. I've. Yeah. I've um, so the first records is it self-titled? It's self-titled. And you guys ended up kind of putting that out. Um, I'm gonna stop short of saying I put it out. Okay. I mean, I, look, I'm I'm the worst at accepting credit, so maybe I did. But right. like, I ordered my copy from you. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, look, here's here's what I said. So basically, I found out. You know, this is how bad of an A and R that I am is that I listen to this shit and I'm like, wow, this shit is really good. And then I go to Geo and I'm like, what are you doing with this stuff? Yeah. And of course, five other people have already hit him up and sure. are like, we want to sign you. Okay. And he's like, dude, I just don't know. I mean, at this time, he's like 20 years old. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, he's not that much older now. So, right. like, you know, this has only been a few years. It was just to pause real quick, I just want to understand was this like his life's work up until that point, or was it just like kind of like something he had thrown together? Kind like, of so- Was he well, taking it seriously? Yeah, I guess yeah, yeah, is what yeah, I'm yeah. asking. No, no, kind of, sort of. So, apparently, there's a whole other version of this tape with a live band. Oh, wow. And then he stripped a bunch of that shit away and replaced it with drum machines and the kind of, you know, the rhythm master and all the stuff that you hear now. Sure. So, yes. Um, yes and no. Um, apparently, there's another tape that exists before that. Okay. That people are... Apparently, people are looking for this shit. I mean, you know how the <laughs> internet works, right? Um, and so... Uh, is it his life's work? No, but um, there's certainly a lot of time that goes into it, okay. right? I mean, okay. you know, when you're making music at that stage, you're just putting your heart into it. You're just putting yeah. your soul into it. There's I, no... Prim- I come to, like, interviews often with preconceived notions. I always think everyone's debut album is their life's work, and I've interviewed yeah. enough in musicians now, and they've told me it isn't, but I can't <laughs> right, I can't right. get off of it. Yeah, I yeah. always wonder if it's like you, sp- you well, know, you spend, I, think they, it's, I think it's just, a, it's a saying. It's like you spend 18 years making the first one, and then you get six months to make the second one. It's kind of like an old school industry but aphorism. But I think that's, uh, there's also some, some accuracy to that in yeah. the sense that I don't think it took him six months to make the second one, but I do think that there's a certain purity that happens on the first one. There's a certain, uh, uh, lack of concern right you know yes well said that it's impossible to replicate because once people care it's like you know they care yeah it's like it's like you're standing there naked and all of a sudden you realize you're naked right it's like holy shit i'm naked (laughs) you know um so you put so many more emotions into that but the crazy thing is you know i saw them perform the last time i was in new york i saw them perform on a rooftop in brooklyn about two in the morning and they did a crazy, like, Naya Bingy dubbed out version of the song Girl that's on the first record. Oh, wow. So they're still performing that material and putting right. new spins on it. I mean, you know, there's a certain purity of expression mm-hmm. in that record, but they're continuing to work with it, which is beautiful. That's cool. It's a but, brilliant record. Red Burns is a brilliant record. Yeah. And he is now kind of a behind-the-scenes writer, producer on, like, major projects, right? Yeah. Well, he's going to be back in front of the scenes soon enough. I mean, he's got a deal, and, you know, he's going to um, he's gonna do his thing. Um, I just want to say real quick as far as, like, the discovery part, there were a lot of people that wanted to sign him who were jokers. And my time in the industry, I knew that. You know, I could see that. 
and I was just like, bro, like, don't do any of these deals. You're not ready. Like, don't do any of these deals. You know, you don't know what you're looking at. You don't have a lawyer. I'm not a lawyer. Mm -hmm. I'm also not a manager. I'm not a label dude. Like, I know enough to tell you not to take any of these deals, but I don't know what else to tell you. Yeah. So let's just put out your record. Okay. And that's how we did it. That's cool. And then we, you know, and we did a bit, you know, real basic split. You know, I recouped and then we split it. That was, you know, that's still the deal that I offer people. It's like, I'm going to recoup and then we split it. Mm -hmm. And um, we did Red Burns that same way too, although the the process was a little bit different. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, so I don't want to say like I totally discovered him, although I definitely did help the process. For sure. Um, You know, I just got him to a point, you know, it was the best, you know, coming from being a teenage artist and having people around that definitely don't have your best interests in mind, going through the comedic sons process, going through the sole purpose process, being signed to a label that definitely didn't give a fuck about us. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, I didn't, we didn't even get into that story. Um, All I wanted to do was just to give him a shot. And I think that we did that and I'm very, very proud of it. That's cool, man. You played a very important role in what I think is going to be kind of a, a velvet undergroundy kind of like not everyone heard it, but the people who heard it were like blown away. And like, so. it's, there's going to be, you you put your he stamp loves, on something. He, that's really a great special comparison. There. He loves the velvet underground. Right. He'll, on. he'll love that you compared him to that. All right, cool. <laughs> uh, yeah. Fascinating record. I could, I sent it to a lot of my friends. I got a lot of mixed responses. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it's not for everyone. It's, it's dope wow. though. Um, yeah, it's cool. So let's talk about how long was good open? 13 years and eight months. That's crazy, man. That's a long run. It's a really long run in Manhattan, no less. No, seriously. Oh, so let's talk a little bit about how it ended. So you you came home to the Bay Area for some reason, and you can tell us why or not, it, whatever a your very, comfort very, level is. Very, very, very easy, easy to explain reason. I got two kids. Okay. <laughs> we was living in Harlem in a big apartment, but not big enough. Okay. It wasn't that big. Yeah. <laughs> Rent stabilized. So we, we had a nice little situation. Yeah. Um, my daughter, we got my daughter into a school down in the village that was really a good school. And it was one of these things where, you know, honestly, I don't know if it was worth it. You know, I think this is something important to talk about for the parents that's out there, because I think a lot of parents deal with this, that you want to get your kid into the best school you can get them mm-hmm. into, right? But what do you sacrifice in the process? Right. And in New York, everything's very neighborhood based. Mm-hmm. And we live, the neighborhood we lived in, the lo- the school we were zoned for is legitimately on, on the ratings. And, you know, the ratings themselves are an issue. Sure. What do these rating, ratings actually measure? But on the ratings was one of the worst schools in New York, in okay. the entire city. Right. So we didn't go to a private school. We didn't have any money for that. But we went to a, uh, a public school that, you know, the East Village happens to be an open district, which means that anybody from the city can try to get in. Okay. And we got in. And um, so we rolled with that. But that meant that every morning, five days a week, I'm either on the four train or I'm on the FDR. 45 minutes each way regardless. Mm-hmm. And with a five-year-old a three a three-year-old three-year-old pre-k okay people didn't even see her wow they didn't even see her yeah like she got hit in the head by suitcases half the time for sure when we were on the train yeah you know Uh, most times i'd try i would just drive because like well i gotta move my car for street cleaning anyway and you know what's what's the point you know get my kid beat up again right 
trying to do the transfer at Union Square to the L train, like with a three year old, like. And I mean, she hasn't God, gotten God, to school yet. That's God, just a stressful. God, God bless every every parent in New York that's trying to do that right now. Yeah. Because if it weren't for the fact that I could leave, I'd still be there. Yeah. I'd still be trying to do that. Yeah. You know, and I had the escape hatch, which is that I have family in California. Yeah. My wife's family is in the Philippines. Oh wow. So we couldn't. I mean, we. I guess we could have gone there, but you know. We didn't have that option. Not going to so, solve the school problem. Oh, well, I mean, you know, again, I, I want to say that part of the school problem was of our own making. Okay. But um, in that we felt like we had to send her to a nicer school than probably we had to. Like, we probably could. We, I'm sure we could have found a suitable school in Harlem that yeah. we could have sent her to. Yeah. You know? Um, and we didn't send her to some primo private school either. You yeah. know, we just found a public school that we liked, that we're like, we liked better. Yeah. You know? But, um... At any rate, you know, all of uh, all of this is happening in the context also of our employment situations. Mm-hmm. And me, you know, I've got a labor of love that's not paying me all that well. Um, I've got a side job, which is what I now do for full time, which mm-hmm. is that I'm, a, you know, I'm a musicologist for Atlantic Records. But that's just starting. It's just taking shape. Okay. You know, it's not I'm not getting paid a livable wage yet. Mm-hmm. My wife has a corporate job where she's being asked to work until eight at night mm-hmm. and then hop on a conference call at 11, mm-hmm. at 11 at night and then hop on another conference call at six in the morning and then go into the office after that. That's crazy because she's working in the fashion industry and they do all their production in Asia. So it's the opposite time. Right. So, you know, when do you talk to China? Right. You talk to them between 11 at night and six in the morning. Yeah. You know? So, uh, it's just a really untenable situation that lots and lots of people go through and lots and lots of people don't have the option to say no. Yeah. But I said, we can say no. Okay. And it was a, to me, it was a supreme act of suppressing my own ego because this was my thing. Yeah. This was my personality. This was my whole, my whole shit. Yeah. And to say I could leave this was really hard. And it's been difficult for me to to, to leave it. It's sure. been painful, but I just looked. I just looked at what I could try to give to my kids, and I said that I think I can give my kids a better job, That's a, a cool, better, man. a better, a better life. Not a better job. No, I really appreciate you sharing that with me, and I know it's really going to resonate with a lot of the people who listen to our podcast, who are kind of all like trying to figure this stuff out now and going yeah, through, yeah, through yeah. life and like trying to like. I I think um, there's people who just completely subsume their own identity into their kids. And then there's people who try to maintain a semblance of themselves and be the best parents that they can. Right. And so there's a, there's a line there and it's, you made a very hard choice, but it seems to be kind of working out. Well, prior to, prior to making this decision, you know, I had already like realized that I had to get my shit together. I was like in the shop till two in the morning getting faded and, you know, dealing with, you know, I'm like, quote unquote working but like i'm just processing records and right I'm like you know I'm, I'm i'm not really working like i'm just like really just avoiding my life's responsibilities right and so that had already we had already crossed that bridge you know what i mean and i realized that if i couldn't give my all to this shop it wasn't really going to work and that was just a, a a time you know that was just a time frame that was just a thing that was waiting to happen eventually somebody else who wanted to do the you know, do those hours was going to, you know, be able to do it better than me. Mm -hmm. But then also just, you know, like I had my run, you know, I think 
a big part of being a being a grown up and being a man and being a a good person and you know a big part of anybody's career is knowing when you're done mm-hmm. and I just realized I was done you know like that I was just like all right I'm good like I had my nobody can take away from me being in the tunnel being in speed being in tramps you know all these clubs all these shows nobody can talk uh, nobody can take away from me you know flyering on on 8th street and broadway uh, you know in the you know 95 96 you know being in harlem being in the bronx you know like nobody can take away from me being in Oak, being at jackson street studios in oakland for unsigned and hella broke you know shows you know like all of these things that i did mm-hmm. it was just about being able to put that on the shelf and saying okay that's there and i've I'm, i can move on now and what's next yeah you know, what's next what is the next thing because there's got to be something after that right yeah for I sure i can't just keep going back to this i right. can't just keep trying to extend it out you know right. it's like it's like when you try to pull that gum out of your mouth and it eventually snaps <laughs> you know yeah well like <laughs> it's gonna funny. snap you know yeah 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 <laughs> or the silly putty or whatever yeah you know, for like, sure I mean, so you, you know. had a you had a it seems from if the internet is to be believed and following you on Twitter and whatnot, uh, you, you, you kind of crafted a creative way to exit the shop. Well, I got really lucky. And again, shout out to my, 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 my guy Svi who, you know, put me in this position 100%. Um, I got a call from Atlantic records, um, to do, uh, a sample clearance project essentially. And, they were like, well, okay, here's, here's the, you know, we've got an album that we're about to come out with. We don't know what the samples are. We need you to help figure them out. And so I did that and there was, you know, some money involved with it. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's great. Yeah. It's a nice check. Thank you. And then they came back and they asked me to do another one. All right, great. Thank you. I became kind of the in-house sample consultation expert, um, on projects and it really initially started out kind of as just hip hop related stuff sure. and some R and B and, um, then it just got kind of bigger and wider. And then I guess, you know, around the time of the, you know, landmark, uh, uh, Robin Thick and, uh, blurred lines, yeah, blurred lines, uh, case that kind of blew the, the lid off of. And, you know, essentially now I, I do the whole labels roster, wow. you know, I, I do everything. What a fucking cool job! Oh, it's it's incredibly <laughs> high stress. Uh, I believe it. <laughs> it's I mean it pays millions it pay, of dollars at stake and pay, uh, it pays me better than the record store did. But it's yeah. it, it, But I also it it actually draws on all of these disparate elements of my background, which is that you know I lived in studios. I know how to separate in my in my head. I know how to separate out tracks to just be like bass, drums, guitar. Sure, you know keyboard what's that is that an arp right that's a that's a moog right you know they might not have known they needed a former producer who ran a record store that specialized in sampleable records right exactly and and then i mean add to that that i have this huge library of sampled music Uh, i know how samples work i know how samples sound right i've sampled so much myself that you know i can almost always tell when something's a sample right um even if I don't know what it is, I can go back to the A&R and say, look, you have to go back to your producer and ask them what this is. Part of the reason that makes my job necessary is that it's a fucking game of telephone up at these labels. Right. And there's so much subterfuge where it's like, oh, if they don't catch me, I'm going to get away with it. You're not going to fucking get away with it. You're going <laughs> to get sued, you dumbass. Like, yeah. 
I mean, the shit makes me mad because like, it's not to anybody's benefit to not tell people what you're sampling, but you know, people think they're going to get away with it. And to be fair, some of my buddies who are in the production game, like they've gotten very, very good at it and they do get away with it. Right. But most of these people are lazy and they don't get away with it. There's nothing to get away with. And then in addition to that, there's so much like, especially around like ultimate breaks and beats. Mm -hmm. There's stuff that has ended up in sample packs and sound packs that people don't know exist that belong to somebody that somebody made that. Right. You know, and you can't just sample it. Right. And so like that, uh, like that's James Brown. Right. Like that, champ. that's that's the champ. You know, like <laughs> people yeah. don't know that. Yeah. Uh, you know, and again, why should... Uh, Are the Mohawks fair, litigious? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. That's on PAMA. You okay. know, that's... Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And, and um, you know, and then you got places like Who Sampled that right. are like, you know, they're putting everything out there. Yeah. They had a... Speaking of the Mohawks, they had a whole like banner ad that was like find out everybody that sampled the mohawks <laughs> thanks oh man yeah i got a, i got a few emails off of that one why didn't you i definitely pointed it out to you why didn't you point this out to me i definitely did i 100 percent did because lord knows i've been i've been buying copies of that record since 1997 yeah, for so sure no no way i You're didn't like, point you that hired out me because i know the obscure shit i also know all the obvious yeah. shit <laughs> but you know but it's it's yeah it's the obvious shit it's you know sil johnson it's you know it's it's everything i mean yeah. it's, it's because essentially that's the culture at the end of the day and the beauty is that that still lives that that lives on that even years later decades later that people still want something to sound like different strokes yeah and they want to sample different strokes. That's dope. But you got to pay Sill. For sure. You got to pay Sill. Yeah. You know? And the fact that, you know, like, again, even within that, it's unjust because the guys that played on that record don't get paid. Twinite and Sill Johnson gets paid. Totally. You know? Yeah. So, you know, and, and again, it's not my job to try to litigate that. But, mm-hmm. like, at the end of the day, the least we can do is to pay these guys. Yeah. And I'm not trying to snitch anybody out. I'm not trying to make anybody's lives harder. I'm not trying to take money away from people. My job is to make sure people don't get sued mm-hmm. because ultimately, you know, who gets paid in that? The lawyers. Exactly. Yeah. So my job is to make sure that that doesn't happen Yeah. because at the end of the day, the label's going to settle it. It's going to be millions of dollars. Yeah. Why don't we just pay them 20 grand and just be done? Right. You know? Yes. Well said. Or, 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 or 50 or 100 or whatever it is. You For know, sure. Like, you know? Um. So that's that's what I do full time now. Gotcha. Um, in addition to Key System Recording, shout out. Yeah. Mm. Let's talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> ah, 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 ah. <laughs> so you have a the, the first project out. It's a Yusuf Latif record called. Um, yeah. Hikima, Hikima Creativity. Creativity. Uh, listen real, to it this morning. It's incredible. Really um, give record. us a little bit on kind of your new venture and the record. And well, I just, you know. After the record store closed, I just wanted to have something to sink my teeth into because at the end of the day, um, the rest of my job, it's it can be very time consuming, but there's also long periods of time where I'm not doing anything. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's only so many trails I can run. You know, I'm not going to turn into super fitness dude. Like, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm just trying to like, you know, just just live my life. And yeah. like, I like taking naps, but I don't like taking that many naps. Yeah, you know? for sure. And, um, you know, so I just wanted something to do. And uh Look, uh, the Yousef project came about because I bought records from Aisha Latif, his Yousef's widow, um, back in the record store days. And we had just a wonderful connection. She's a beautiful, beautiful woman who uh, gave me some 
important words back when I needed them. And it just came, you know, front of mind. It was just like, what, you know, what am I going to do? Okay, let's do this. You know, this sounds like a great project. And it just sounded like something I wanted to do. And I reached out to her and it was just organic. It just came about very easily. And did you um, get tapes or no, 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 there were no tapes. We, We mastered off of vinyl. Shout out Jessica Thompson, who's, um, an amazing mastering engineer. And, um, she's in Albany, California, no less. Um, from New, you know, migrated back here from New York, so it followed much the same path. Sounds familiar, huh? As I did, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, shout out Jessica Thompson, amazing, amazing ear, amazing. She did the mastering and the the uh, the restoration on that record. That was that, but that was from vinyl though. We didn't have the tapes. We are working with the tapes on some other projects. Okay, um, we're so, working, or the dats, um, key system. So the key system is the uh, the key root is the key root is the and the key system are the streetcar system that ran through the the bay area back in the 40s and 50s and and early 60s um you know we actually had um in the bay area we had a wonderful uh streetcar system that went from uh albany el cerrito all the way out to east oakland all the way up to piedmont berkeley north berkeley um ran on san pablo Ran on Solano, uh, ran on MacArthur, you know, ran on the Bay Bridge, on the lower deck of the Bay Bridge out to San Francisco. Wow. Where it connected up with, gotcha. with trains out there before the BART. Yeah. And, you know, God, I wish we still had that system. For because, real. you know, we're, we're, we're trying to get out of our cars, right? And they're trying to tell us, well, get on a bike, get on a, get on a bus. You know, man, if we just had, coming from New York City, where there's a really functional public transportation system. Yes. You know, this just ain't the same. And having a commuter rail that you then have to connect to either by car or ride share. For sure. It's the, just not the, the last same way. mile problem. Exactly. And and I have lots and lots of stories to share about that. <laughs> but um, essentially, I just wanted to harken back to that. I loved I loved the logo of the 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 system map. I felt it looked like a key. Yeah. It, it also looked like a tree. For sure. You know, and I th- this is what I'm doing. This, I'm, we're, 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 we're putting down some roots and we're growing it. And, um, you know, it's very Bay Area centric, but I have a lot of Bay Area projects that I want to bring about. So the next, you know, the next projects we're working on are uh, Bay Area uh, hip hop, uh, a few Bay Area hip hop tapes. Uh, the Idle Mode is is on deck. Um, very, very sick tape called Fogville, circa 94. Um, if you know about them, then you know about them. I mean, the stuff's floating around on the Internet, so you can definitely hear it. Um, Rhyme Scheme and J-Def, um, they're super dope and worked with Dave Paul at the Bomb uh, Bomb Magazine. Uh, but very San Francisco-sounding record. Nice. As far as the, you know, they had the, you know, they got the same kind of, the, 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 the same sample-based beats, but it's like a little bit more, a little bit more hippie-influenced, uh, psychedelia, I should say, psychedelia-influenced. The rhymes are abstract. It's very very dope, and that sounds um, awesome. It's 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 a cool. I think it's a cool vibe. I, I I think people would dig it, and um, we got a few other you know soul and jazz and funk projects uh lined up, you know, and we're we're always looking for ideas. So if you have an idea of something you want to reissue, and uh, you want to get it out on a major scale, you know, we got digital distribution, we got sync representation, um, obviously we got the vinyl hookup, super super locked, and um, you know, hit me up. Right on. Um, John, thank you. Um, thank you. Yeah, dude, this is really cool. It's a, it's a weird way to get to know someone, but <laughs> it's nice meeting you. Thank you for telling me you, oh, your, my pleasure, your life man. story from your teens up till now. And um, yeah, yeah. 
uh, yeah, just uh, just want to say thanks, and uh, we will kind of put this together, and uh, you know, it'll be out soon. I'll send you links, and uh, yeah, just appreciate you doing the show. I think uh, your your story is really um, kind of a success story of like what we talk about on the show, which is about how to age gracefully within the music, within the culture, not. Uh, not sell out which is not really a thing anymore kind of unfortunately I kind of sold out a little bit a little bit but that's it's not a bad thing anymore and to uh keep well you keep, gotta get the, you gotta get the check right exactly like, and to keep a foot in it and do it the right way yeah, yeah, and to yeah. like be be true to the art so yeah, yeah. um yeah thanks a lot man thank you all right it's my pleasure man peace Thanks, everybody, for listening. Um, this is that Youssef Latif Hikima Creativity record, 1983. Um, I think anybody who's into records would hear these drums and want to reissue this. Um, it's incredible. Check it out. Buy the vinyl from the key system. John is easily findable. Um, I also need to give a shout-out to my man, Steady Vloggin, at Steady Vloggin on Twitter. I had a sample question um, from the new Benny the Butcher album the other day. Threw it out there. He DM'd me within five minutes with the correct answer. I knew what song it was, but I couldn't remember it. It was driving me crazy, and that is the beauty of Twitter. If you don't have too many followers like we don't, follow us on Twitter. Um, it can actually be kind of fun. You can have really interesting conversations. All right, that's it for this week. Peace out, everybody. Um, leave us a review on iTunes if you would be so kind. Follow us on Twitter at DadBodRapPod. Have a great week.